Well, last Sunday was the 25th anniversary of a landmark event in American history. You want to know what it is? I don't care if you want to, I'm going to tell you anyways, part of the sermon. So here, here, here it is. Uh, uh, 25 years ago, December 3rd, 1992, the very first text message was sent. Yeah, by a software. We're clapping this service. All right, we're excited for text messages. It was sent by a software developer whose name was Neil Papworth. He sent it to a colleague friend of his. The very first text message simply said, Merry Christmas. Amazingly, it was spelled fully and correctly that time, which is unbelievable uh, to do that. If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element Church. Uh, So glad that you are with us today. I promise you that introduction does have a point. We'll get to it here in a little bit. Uh, For everyone who is here today, Today, uh, even those who are joining us on video somewhere, just want to say thank you for choosing to spend time with us as we are continuing our Christmas sermon series today called Silent Night. And some of you, specifically those of you in the room who are about under 20 years old or so, I could feel it during the introduction, you were starting to panic with the thought that you actually had to talk to people on the phone before there was text messaging or social media. You'll panic even more when I tell you there was a time in life, I know it's hard to believe, when we didn't even have cell phones. Can I get a witness up in here, right? Like if you wanted to talk to your friend and you were at home, you talked to them out in the open on a phone connected to the wall that was either in your kitchen or your living room. Who's with me on this, right? So if you were lucky enough, enough, your parents would buy a 50-foot-long phone cable. You could carry the phone with you into the living room, shut the door, and have some privacy. However, I'm not saying my dad ever did this, but he did this. If you talk too long, your parents would just unplug the phone jack from the wall, and you'd wonder where your conversation went. I feel some people in the room, you're, you're with me. You're with me on this. Well, I now, I in life now, I'd much rather, many of you probably feel the same way, I'd much rather text someone or use digital social communication than I would talk to them on the phone. If I have a choice, I'm always choosing text messaging over a phone call, which is funny because last Sunday, one of my former students from when I was a youth pastor, they tagged me on social media with the article about the 25th anniversary of text messaging. Along with the tag on social media, they included a quote from me that I might have said while I was his youth pastor. And the quote was this, it will never catch on. (laughs) Yeah, so prophecy is not one of my gifts. So I was a youth pastor when text messaging first started going mainstream, and I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. Like my friends would text me, I would refuse to text them back. It'll blow over, I thought. They'll end up you know, calling me. Students and youth would text me on my cell phone. I'd refuse to text them back. And I remember standing on the platform in our youth ministry just berating text messaging to our students. And I didn't just say it was not gonna catch on. I went deeper than that. I know this might be a surprise for some of you who are part of our church, but I tend to be a little bit overdramatic about things in life. Uh, you ask my mom, she'll say it runs in the men in our family. But I stood on the platform uh, in my sermon and said to our students, texting is so dumb. Why would you text someone where you can actually put in their number and talk to them on the phone? And that's when I told them, just you watch, it will never catch on, never catch on. Well, now, that was probably 15 years ago when I said that. Now, I will text my wife when she's in the same room with me, right? 
Like digital communication is all I want to have in my life. So now we have texting and social media and it has sped up the pace at which we communicate, has it not? Like now we have instant connection to people all over the world through texting and and social media. Even now I can text someone and now my phone shows me the message was delivered. If they have read receipts on it, shows that it was read. Facebook Messenger shows that they read your message. Snapchat shows that they opened the snap that you sent them. So now here this guy who swore he would never text message, that it would never catch on, that this thing is so dumb. Now I find myself getting impatient at the response time from people I text, right? Like I'll send a text and moments later, I find myself just so frustrated. They have not responded to my text or done what I have asked. And I'll think to myself, my phone says it was delivered. It says it was read, what's going on? Like why they not responded? And then with people in my life who I love the most, I will sometimes send follow-up texts with one word, but lots of O's. Hello, question mark, question mark, question mark. You know, I might use an angry face emoji, or if I'm really feeling it, I'll send them a bitmoji like this one. I'm waiting. (laughs) My wife says it's creepy how much my bitmoji looks like me. So it's crazy that even we'll start thinking paranoid thoughts about people when they don't respond in the time frame we desire. We'll say things like, why have they not responded? Like it shows they read it. Are they mad at me? Like, like, like they do something wrong? Are they okay? And you start panicking. You want to call them now. So you call them. Hey, you didn't respond to my text. It's like, holy cow. So here, here's the point. Some of you are wondering if I have one. I do have one. Here, here's the point. That kind of frustration That kind of impatience, even that kind of paranoia, I believe has crept into our communication with God as well. Because there's times we'll we'll pray for something and then God does not respond in our time frame and we'll think, well, I I prayed about that need. Why Why did God not respond? How long do I have to wait? Did he not hear me? Oh no, is he angry at me? Does God even love me? Is God even there. Anyone else with me in that? I think sometimes in our faith, we we mistake God's apparent silence for his absence in our lives. I even think sometimes there are people who have chosen not to believe in God because at some point in their life, they asked him to do something for them and then he didn't come through. He was silent. And in the silence, they believed that he was absent. And listen, I get it, I do. I think many of you in the room would would agree with me, even those of us who believe, it's hard when you ask God for something or seek God for something in your life and it just seems like he's ignoring you or that he ignored you. And if if you're here today and that's you, like you're, you're choosing not to believe in God for any reason, but specifically for that reason, I hope you know you're not alone, you're not alone. If I ask for a show of hands, I think many of us, me included, would say, there are needs I've asked God to provide. There are problems I've asked him to fix. There are people I have begged him to save, and not just physically, I'm talking about spiritually as well, and it just seems like he remained silent. Just didn't answer. So many of us have been there, right? I don't think I'm alone. We, we, we walk through seasons 
where it just seems like God is silent. And in the silence, we wonder if he's absent. Is he even there? And because of that, because I think that's our natural default, even as Christians, to wonder that, here's the big idea we've got to understand. It'll drive our message for the day. And uh, I'll I'll, uh, leave it up on the screens here if you want to write it down, and it's this. Just because God is silent in your life does not mean he's absent from your life. Amen? Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's absent. So if that's true, if God's silence doesn't mean he's absent, then we have to know how to walk through seasons of silence because they're coming, church. There's seasons where God is going to feel silent and if we're going to make it through, we've got to know how to respond to that. So that's the big question for today. What do I do when I feel like God is silent? What do I do when I feel like God's silent? The main scripture is Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. So if you brought a Bible with you, a hard copy or a digital one, uh, turn to Luke chapter 2. If you don't know, Luke is the third book in the New Testament portion of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. If you don't own a Bible today, we'll give you one. We love giving them away for free. Uh, so you can have your own Bible. Just ask for a Bible at guest services or uh, out at the Next Steps wall. We'll get you a Bible from one of our volunteers. And all the, all the scriptures on the screens as well. So you can follow along there. A little background here so you know what we're jumping into. Here in these verses, this was eight days after the very first Christmas. So what we're going to read is eight days after the birth of Jesus. And on this day, Mary and Joseph were, according to Jewish law, were on their way from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, bringing Jesus to the temple to fulfill the requirements of the Jewish law following having a child. So that's the setting here. Mary and Joseph are on their way. uh, And we're going to jump into the story here. Luke 2, verse 25 says this. At that time... There was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a struggling quarterback for the Denver Broncos. No, it's not what it says. It's not what it says. Sorry. It's not what it says. My bad. But all quarterbacks are struggling for the Broncos right now. I don't know what's going on for you guys. We got to figure that one out. Okay. So, sorry. It's not what it says. I had to lighten the room a little bit. Here we go. Man named Simeon, who was not a quarterback, he was a righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting. Everyone say waiting. He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. So the key word here in that verse is the word waiting. Because for centuries, God had been speaking to his people, the people of Israel, about the coming of the Messiah. Go all the way back to the very first book in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, the book of Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis 12, it's recorded that God tells Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, that one of his descendants would be the Messiah. And this Messiah would bless all nations of the earth would come through, a blessing would come through this Messiah. And then throughout the whole old, all of the Old Testament, there was literally hundreds of prophecies that God would give through prophets in his word concerning the Messiah, ending with the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. So in case you don't know, the Bible, the books of the Bible are not placed in chronological order. They are placed in thematic sections. But Malachi not only is the last book in the section of the prophets, it's actually the last book written as well. So here's the very last words written, the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament, and God would speak his last words about the coming of the Messiah. I'm going to read them to you, Malachi 4, 2 and 3, the last prophecy about the Messiah says this, but for you who fear my name, that's those who are the children of God, 
the son of righteousness, notice that's capitaled because it's the Messiah. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And after that prophecy, there was 400 years where God was silent to his people. Not only were there no more words about the Messiah, but for 400 years, there was no more words from God at all to his people through the prophets. That was the last word spoken to the people. So that's the backdrop of the waiting of Simeon here in Luke chapter 2. 400 years of silence. And in the silence, Simeon was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Picking back up in the story. The Holy Spirit was upon him, that's Simeon, and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the day Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus to the temple, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, I love this, Simeon was there. Isn't that awesome? Just because God is silent in our life does not mean he's absent from our life. So what do I do when I feel like God is silent? Well, there's three things we'll see in the life of Simeon that I think we can put into our lives as well. The first one is this, we need to stay sensitive. And I'll explain it here in a second. We need to stay sensitive. And when I say that, Yes, I'm speaking to everyone, but specifically those who believe in Jesus in the room, because when you put your faith in Jesus, we are given the Holy Spirit who lives in our heart. And so when I say stay sensitive, I'm talking about staying sensitive to the Holy Spirit, sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, in this story, we don't know for how long, maybe days, weeks, months, or even years, that Simeon was waiting to see the, the Messiah, it seems to imply he'd been waiting a long time. Perhaps he was advanced in years, even approaching his own death. We don't know. All we know is the Holy Spirit revealed to him somehow that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Then one day, the day we're reading here, he was led by the Spirit to the temple. Again, we don't know for certain, but apparently that day he wasn't planning on going to the temple. Otherwise, he couldn't have been led there. He had other plans in mind. So uh, we don't know. Perhaps he was on his way to Starbucks for coffee with a friend. We don't know. We do know he was righteous and devout. Therefore, we know he drank coffee. Can I get an amen from the coffee lovers in the room? Yes. Some of you aren't agreeing with me, but you can be wrong. That's okay. Maybe he was on his way to Perkins for breakfast with his wife. He was looking forward to some turkey bacon because God did not allow pork yet to be eaten. But praise God, he's changed that one as well. We don't know what his plans were. All we know is he woke up that morning with plans for his day, but then and he was led by the Spirit, prompted, nudged, whatever it is, to go to the temple of God. Here's a question I asked myself preparing for this message, and I don't know the answer, just conjecturing. But how many other days did Simeon feel led to the temple so he went and nothing happened? And yet here in the silence, he remained sensitive to the Spirit and went again. So God might have appeared to be silent in Simeon's life, but he was not absent. Because as we know, on the way to the temple that day, 
born eight days prior in Bethlehem, was Jesus, the Messiah, the long-awaited promise to the nation of Israel, and specifically to Simeon. So listen, I don't know. I don't know where God seems silent in your life right now. All I know is, like Simeon, we need to stay sensitive, listening for the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about with our physical ears, I'm talking about with our spiritual ears, with our spirit remaining sensitive. Being open to, to his promptings, his nudges, his, his leading. Because we don't know where God is working behind the scenes. We can't see what he sees. We don't know what he knows. We, we don't understand what he does. But I, I think sometimes we're waiting to hear from God on the significant things in life we've asked him for, while we fail to follow through on the small things in life he's already spoken to us about. That should land on some people. In fact, I wonder how many times in my life have I ignored the promptings of the Spirit because it seemed small, at the same time accusing God of being silent or even absent because he had not answered that significant thing in my life yet. Just this last Wednesday morning, Wednesday's my sermon prep day. It's the day where I write out my, my sermon. So I manuscript out my sermons on Wednesday word for word. So here on this last Wednesday on the very day that I wrote this sermon, before I got to the office, I almost ignored the leading of the Holy Spirit. So several, several months ago now, someone who I met out in our community ended up coming to our church. Uh, I saw this person regularly uh, out in the community. When I first met them, they were not attending church anywhere. When they found out I was the pastor of Element, they said, man, we need to get connected to, to church again. And so when they arrived at Element soon after, I was thrilled to see them in church. Ever since that visit then, I've just been regularly praying for them by name that they would get connected to a church in Cheyenne. Not necessarily Element Church. It's not the church for everybody, and I get that. But a church, a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Church And I still would see them pretty regularly out in the community, but they had not been back, at least to my knowledge, not been back to, to Element. And so I wanted to know if they were connected anywhere. Now, I, I take, I'm pretty sensitive to the fact that I don't ever want to make someone feel like I'm being pushy or because I'm the pastor, I don't want to make them feel, feel guilty. And so I was praying for the right opportunity to make it natural. I could ask them if they're connected to a church anywhere. And so each time I saw them, it just never felt right, didn't seem like it fit the conversation, or, or I didn't even, wasn't even able to ask until Wednesday morning, this last Wednesday, I saw them again. And this time, I knew it was the perfect time to bring it up. It just felt right. We started a conversation, and I even felt that little nudge that just, if you're a believer, I think you know that, what that feels like, just a little nudge of the Holy Spirit to say something. The only problem was, I was in a hurry. I needed to get to the office because by golly, it's sermon prep day and I got to write this sermon on listening to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so I, your pastor, ignored the Holy Spirit and walked away from that conversation to get to my office and write this sermon. In my mind, I tried justifying it. Well, I'll see the, I, I see them all the time. I'll see them again. I even justified it by saying, well, I want to invite him to Christmas Eve, so I need to get a Christmas Eve invite card, didn't have one on me. I'll do it next time. I walked away. As I walked away, I left them in the room that we were 
conversing in, and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I felt it just as strong. I felt the Holy Spirit just say to my heart, you goober, what are you doing? Right, he, does, he can say, that's all right. He just started messing with my heart, saying, Jeff, you've been praying for a chance to ask them if they were connected. I put them right in your path. I even nudged you with my spirit, one of those promptings, and you're going to wait till next time? And I basically said, yep. I kept on walking. And then I felt the Holy Spirit say this, how do you know I'll give you a next time? <laughs> Stop me dead in my tracks. I repented, asked God to forgive me, turned back around, went back into the room I left that person in and awkwardly started another conversation to ask them if they were connected to a church somewhere. Now listen, there's plenty of areas in my life right now where I feel like God is silent, and I mean that. There are provisions I'm asking God for that I have not received an answer. There are people I am begging God to save that I love deeply in my life. And it seems like he is silent. So there's plenty of areas in my life where I feel like God is silent. But while I'm waiting to hear on those, I better be sensitive to where he's already speaking. Because I don't want to ignore his voice in the small things and miss it when he shows up on the significant thing. Story continues, Luke 2, 28 through 35 says this, he took the child in his arms and praised God saying, sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all people. He's a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus's parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Isn't that interesting? Like they were also told that their son would be the Messiah. But here they are hearing these words from Simeon about their son being the Messiah. And they themselves don't know what to think. Isn't that weird? It makes me wonder if Jesus had been crying for eight straight days. And they were questioning whether he was the Messiah. And now they're like, oh, okay, we didn't mess up. Okay. Verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary... The baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. Wow. Just because God's silent in my life does not mean he's absent from my life. So what do I do when I feel like he's silent? Well, like Simeon, I think we've got to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit obeying those promptings and leadings of, of his voice. Number two, and I'll explain it again, but it's this, keep seeing. Stay sensitive, but also keep seeing. There's something that Simeon says that just is so interesting to me. And I'm not saying that I have the correct interpretation of it, but this is just, just how I'm feeling, okay? So he took Jesus into his arms and he said, I have seen your salvation. Now think about that phrase for a moment. I've seen your salvation. For me, this is how I'm viewing this response, I think that was a complete statement of faith on Simeon's part. How did he know he had seen salvation? Jesus had not yet done what he came on earth to do. Like Simeon had not yet seen salvation. 
He was holding, though, the one who would be our salvation. I actually think Simeon was seeing what could be, not what currently was. He was praising God for what he was going to do, not what he already did. And this is so huge, church, in how we deal with God's silence in our lives because it's easy to be overwhelmed, even to stop believing when it seems like God is not there. We ask him for provision. We ask him for protection. And it just seems like he's silent. And in that silent, we wonder if he is absent. But Simeon figured it out. Simeon had not yet seen salvation. But he was believing that child in his arms would be our salvation. So he praised God in advance of what had come. There's a verse in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament that has changed the way I pray. In fact, every day, even this morning before I came here to the church, in my personal quiet time, I used this verse in my prayer time. Isaiah 25 verse 1 says this, O Lord, I will honor and praise your name, for you are my God. You do such wonderful things, you planned them long ago, and now you have accomplished them. If you guys would leave that verse up on the screen just for, for a moment. Some scholars believe the wonderful things that Isaiah was talking about actually weren't things that already happened. They were things that were promised or prophesied to come. And so when we read these words here, and now you have accomplished them, that phrase, many scholars believe, is an actual statement of faith. You can take the verse down. That Isaiah believed so much in what God was going to do based on what he was able to do, that it was as if it already happened. That Isaiah was praising God out of a sense of expectation, not out of what he already experienced. He was praising God out of a sense of anticipation, not what had already arrived in his life. So church, I want to challenge us this week in those places in our lives where it feels like God is silent, I want to challenge us this week to pray and to praise with a sense of expectation and a sense of anticipation. I want us to pray and I want us to praise with such a complete trust in God that we actually praise him for what he's going to do based on what he's able to do regardless of what he decides to do. That'll change the way you pray, by the way. It'll change the way you praise, too. Because so often we make our praise conditional. Well, I'll praise him when he does what I've asked. What if we started praising him ahead of time? As if it already happened. That changes the way we praise. That God, you know this is what I've asked for. And you know this is what I need. And even though in my need it feels like you are silent, I know you are not absent because I have seen your salvation. And even though you've not answered me yet, I'm going to pray to you and I'm going to praise you as if it's already happened. 
And listen, church, I'm not talking about some crazy name it, claim it theology, because there is a theology out there on the fringe of Christianity that says, if you want it, then just believe for it and claim it and it's yours. I don't prescribe to that theology, by the way. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is not name it, claim it. It's I know his name. And his name is above all other names, so I'm going to claim him. And I know that he can do anything, that nothing is impossible for my God, so that's how I'm going to pray. And while I wait, I will praise him as if it already happened, so that when it happens, I won't be surprised, and if it doesn't happen, I will not be shaken. My faith is in him, not what he chooses to do for me. Change the way you pray. And will change the way you praise. Rick Warren, who was the author of uh, The Purpose Driven Life, pastor of Saddleback Church in San Diego, California, said this about faith. I thought this was really good. Faith is not believing God can do something. Faith is not hoping he will do something. Faith is thanking God in advance. If you thank God after you've got it, that's gratitude. When you thank him in advance, that's called faith. So I have begun to pray this way for things I believe God's led me to pray for in my life. For instance, there are people who I love deeply in my life who are currently not walking with Jesus. They do not know him. If they died today, they would be separated from God for eternity. And so when I pray for them every day, I start praying with thanks for the day they will put their faith in Jesus. That Lord, I'm praying for this person and I thank you in advance that on a day you have ordained, they will put their faith in you. Lord, I thank you that it's already done. And you might say, how long should we pray that way? I have committed myself to pray that way until I die, they die, or they put their faith in Jesus. Why? Because I know my God is able. So I'm praising him in advance for what I already know he can do. Doesn't change doesn't change the current situation, but it sure changes me. Changes me. So just because God's silent in my life does not mean he's absent from it. So what do we do when it feels like God is silent? Well, stay sensitive. Got to keep seeing that what God's going to praise God for what he's able to do regardless of what he decides to do. And the third one is this. We got to continue seeking. Continue seeking. A new character now is introduced into the story. Luke 2, 36 through 38 says this. Anna, so here's this new character. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old, so like 43. That's how old I am, I'm just saying. Just saying. She was very old. Put whatever age you want on it. Her husband died and when they, had, when, they, when they had been married only seven years, then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Wow. She came along. Don't you love how God just ordains moments in life? This is an ordained moment. He, he orchestrated this. She came along just as Simeon, was talking with Mary and Joseph. And remember, God led Simeon to be there when Jesus arrived. And she began praising God. 
She talked about the child to everyone who'd been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Love that. As I was reviewing my notes today before I came to church, I was actually encouraged by something in that last line. It says that she began talking to everyone who had been waiting. And God just reminded me that even here, Simeon and Anna weren't the only people in silence. There was other people waiting in silence too. And it encouraged me to know that I have things God's silent about, but I'm not alone because you have them too. We're in this together, right? So here in this moment, the 400 years of silence was broken and the Messiah arrived on the scene. And like Simeon and Anna, they had been waiting in silence. Here she was, very old, so probably for decades, she had spent her life seeking God in the temple. And because she was seeking, she was there when God broke the silence. I don't know about you, church, but I want to be there when God breaks the silence in my life. But I'm only going to be there if I keep seeking him. And I'm I'm not saying that we should all move into the church and bring sleeping bags and jammies and just camp out here until God breaks the silence. It's not what I'm talking about. If I want to see folks in jammies, I'll go to Walmart today. (laughs) You know it's true. Come on now. Some of you are guilty too. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the silence, instead of shrinking back from God, which is what we often do, what if we chose to seek God even more? Because when someone, listen, when someone's quiet or even whispers, what do you have to do to hear them? You lean in. So when God is silent, what might you have to do to hear him? Maybe lean in to the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? I actually believe there are times that God chooses to be silent for a season so that we will intentionally seek him. Not so we're frustrated with him, but so our faith builds up in him by choosing to seek God. So just because God's silent doesn't mean he's absent. So what do we do? Well, we need to stay sensitive. So here's the first challenge for us this week. We should do this every day, but I think it's good for a week. What if you woke up every morning this week and in order to stay sensitive, the first things that you did in the morning was say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Put a reminder on your phone or on your car mirror or or somewhere that just reminds you, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I promise you, you start praying that prayer and the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Probably not audibly, but you'll feel it. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. We gotta keep seeing. So what if every day we just simply started praying, Lord, I am praising you for the answer to that request that's not answered. I'm praising you in advance for what you're able to do, regardless of what you decide to do. So speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Then, God, I thank you that you already in the future have done that. (laughs) Have faith for what you can't yet see. And then keep seeking. 
that, Lord, you might be silent, but I know you're not absent, so I'm leaning in to you. Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. I thank you for that, that I've already asked for, but you've not responded. And Lord, I know you're silent right now, but I'm leaning in to you. I know you're not absent. Every day, those three things, I think you'll see a radical change in your heart this week. I'm gonna pray for you guys. And then I want you to remain seated. I got some uh, instructions for the so that offering. So a little bit of a weird transition here, but I, I think you'll understand this, this one time. So God, thanks so much that you do speak. And Lord, whether it's through your written word already that we have, or whether it's just through those promptings or leadings like you gave me on Wednesday, Lord, I pray that you continue to speak to our hearts. Lord, help us remain sensitive. Lord, I pray that we would uh, continue seeing in advance, praising you, Lord. And I pray that we keep seeking, that we would not stop leaning into you. God, help us. Help us listen for you, even in the silence. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been telling you guys the last several weeks about today. Today's our annual year-end offering called the So That Offering. I won't belabor a, a, long, a long time here about the offerings. I've been telling you about that. But it is based on John 3.16, that God loved us so much he gave his son so that anyone who believes in him could experience life. And that's why we give as well. One of the reasons why, because we love God, we give so that more and more people can experience life in Jesus through his church. And as you know, the year, this, uh, so that offering, uh, the proceeds, $5,000 will go to the local Salvation Army here in town. And then the rest of what is given will go to fund our I Heart Wyoming initiative in 2018. Our prayers are partnered with 20 churches. So we partnered with 14 this year. We want to do 20 next year. And we've also been praying that we would receive $250,000 in the offering, in the so that offering. And that's a God-sized number, by the way. I don't know why God laid that number on my heart, but it's what we've been praying towards. And, um, and all I know is this, we can only do what God asks us to do individually. And so I've been asking you to pray, God, what do you want to give through me? And I want you to know too, as, as your pastor, that yes, we've been praying for 250,000, but I want you to know that whatever comes into this offering, we will trust God that that is exactly what we need. Amen? And we'll use it to reach out, partner with other churches around our state to hopefully see more people come to know Jesus. So if you're gonna to give today, the offering is open all the way through December 31st at 11.59 p.m. Uh, once we hit the new year, uh, the giving does not count towards uh, this year's giving statements. We will put it towards the so that offering still, but it won't count towards your giving statement. If you're gonna give in cash or in check, uh, please mark so that offering on the envelope or on your check. You can give digitally through the website or the mobile, uh, the mobile giving app, PushPay, which is what I use. And just make sure you select so that offering. And then finally, if you feel led to give in non-traditional ways, so precious metals, property, real estate, uh, stuff like that, which some people are able to do and have done, just contact the church. We'll get you set up on how to make that transfer of ownership uh, to the church, and it will also go towards the So That Offering. We're not going to pass the buckets or sing a song or anything. There are buckets uh, at the back of every door here at the, uh, at the exits, and uh, we'll make sure that, that you can just put your offering in there or do it digitally. Again, it's open all the way through the end of the year. Make sure you take an invite card with you when you go and invite somebody to Christmas Eve. If you're new here, stop by the living room on your way out. We'd love to meet you. And if you got prayer, a need of prayer uh, in your life, stop by the purple tent in the back. We got some people that would love to pray for you uh, back there before you go. Next Sunday, we're going to hopefully, Lord willing, be talking about what does God say about anxiety? We're talking about anxiety next week. 
I know for a lot of us in the church, that's very, very relevant. It's very relevant in my own family, okay? So I'll talk, share a little bit about our story of how anxiety has affected us in our home, and hopefully we'll see how the Lord wants to deal with that in our lives. Love you guys. Thanks for being patient. You are dismissed. See you next week.